Amen. That's worth coming to church for, wasn't it? That's a blessing. Thank you, ladies. One of the blessings of being in the same church a long time is to see children born and grow up in uh, good Christian homes and stand and sing and be a blessing to others. Uh, if we didn't have young people serving in our church, we'd be in trouble. We've got some we got some of the finest young people. I'm talking about young people serving God and folks of all ages. And I sure am thankful for it. Well, I'm excited to preach this morning. In fact, my only fear is trying to figure out how to put this one-hour sermon in the next 28 minutes. But I want to preach this morning. Uh, you look like you're scared too, afraid I can't do it. Uh, I want to preach this morning on unexpected preachers of the gospel. When you, uh, when you think of the king here, you think of Nebuchadnezzar and who he is and what he says. It's quite amazing. I mean, this is a, uh, this is a uh, Vladimir Putin kind of a leader that's testifying of the goodness of God. I mean, this, this is a guy that you just you can't believe this guy's converted. And uh, look at verse 34 again, and then I'll pray. He gives testimony himself. He says, and at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Unexpected preachers of the gospel. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help me as I preach this morning. My heart is so blessed by the privilege of just being here and being in this place to worship you with these people on this Sunday morning. Lord, to have seen all of the work of the week of the many, many folks that have been involved in Everything from vacation Bible school to hospital visits to nursing home visits, soul winning, the bus ministry, preparing for another year of Christian education. What a great week it's been. And now we come to the preaching of your word. And I pray that you'd help me preach in a way that first of all would bring honor and glory to you. And then Lord that would bring us closer to you our creator and our Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Throughout the Word of God, there are preachers, there are prophets, and there are proclaimers of the truth of the gospel that we expect to be just that. We're not surprised that Jeremiah is a prophet because God told him in chapter 1, he said, I knew you when you were in your mother's womb and I ordained you. I called you to be a prophet to the nations when you were in your mother's womb. So it doesn't surprise us that Jeremiah becomes a prophet of God. David, the Bible says, the sweet psalmist of Israel, a man after God's own heart, it doesn't surprise us that as a king, he proclaimed the truth of who God was. Many, many psalms, many, many songs uh, that he penned, uh, bringing honor and glory to God, the great uh, uh, shepherd king of Israel. We're not surprised by David's proclamation of who God, uh, of who God is. And John the Baptist, he was chosen as the forerunner of Jesus Christ, and we're not uh, surprised by him being a preacher. I love to read of John the Baptist. What a bold uh, preacher uh, John the Baptist was. We're not, we're not surprised by that. In fact, we expect it. 
when Paul led young Timothy to Christ and invested his life into young Timothy. We're not surprised that he is sent to be a pastor of a church and is encouraged by Paul and others to be a preacher and a proclaimer of the gospel. However, it is interesting to see those who came to the place and responsibility of preaching about God that you would never dream to be a proclaimer of the truth. In fact, Amos himself was surprised. He was a farmer. Uh, he was a herdsman, and he said uh, he was surprised. He said, Lord, why would you call somebody like me to be a proclaimer of truth and tell folks about you? I believe Peter was surprised. Peter was a fisherman by trade. Uh, Peter, too, was bold and brash and sometimes uh, offensive, uh, Peter was, in his words and uh, in his behavior. And uh, Peter was somewhat of a loose cannon. And Jesus said to Peter, he said, follow me and I'll make you a fisher, not a fish, but I'll make you a fisher of men. And his personality was used in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. It's a little bit surprising that Peter becomes a preacher. No one would have ever thought of Saul of Tarsus to become a preacher of Christ. Uh, Saul persecuted the church. Uh, Saul did everything he could to stop this teaching and talking about this man, uh, Jesus. But Saul not only is uh, converted on the Damascus Road on that very same day and in the same event, he said, Lord, uh, what wilt thou have me to do? And probably the greatest uh, missionary preacher of the New Testament uh, would have been uh, who was uh, Saul of Tarsus uh, became Paul uh, the Apostle. We have known men like this in our day to become preachers that we never expected to come to Christ as Savior, let alone to become a proclaimer of the gospel. John Newton was a wicked man. In fact, he, uh, he was a slave trader, and not just a slave trader, but a, a man who mistreated slaves and took advantage of that slave trade. And, and it was an amazing thing just to read of John Newton's salvation. But John Newton became a preacher of the gospel. I read the story recently, a very interesting story of a woman by the name of Charlotte Elliott. Charlotte Elliott was born in London, England in March of 1789. And she grew up to become an English poet. She was a poet and a musician. Her childhood was in a circle of great refinement and even of the state religion. Uh, she was uh, highly educated. Charlotte Elliott was highly educated. And she developed at a very early age a passion for music and art. One evening she was performing a choice musical uh, for a select audience in a private residence, a large residence uh, in London. And when she finished that choice musical, she was surrounded by those who were impressed with her perform performance and wanted uh, the privilege of meeting her personally, uh, speaking to her and even getting her autograph. Uh, a young fiery preacher there in London, England, a young man 
uh, was invited to that musical because of friends and he attended the musical and uh, he uh, threaded his way through the crowd uh, to talk to her as many people wanted to and when he finally reached her as she would later tell the story herself and uh, he knew that he had her attention he said and I quote young lady when you were singing I sat there and I thought how tremendously the cause of Christ would be benefited if you would dedicate yourself and your talents to the Lord but you are as much a sinner as the worst drunkard on the street and the worst harlot on Scarlet Avenue. But I'm glad to tell you that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, would cleanse you from all sin if you would come to him. She responded in a very haughty manner and uh, made note of the fact of how she turned her head aside in, in, in pride. And she said, and I quote, You are very insulting, sir. As, he, as she walked away from him, he said to her, Lady, I did not mean any offense, but I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would convict you. As she would later tell the story that night, Charlotte Elliott, she could not sleep. It was at 2 o'clock in the morning she got out of bed, not able to sleep under conviction of the Holy Spirit. She knelt beside her bed and received Christ as her Savior. She took out a pen and a piece of paper during the night, during those hours, and she penned these words. Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bids me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. One of the great invitation songs of American history, that song, Just As I Am, and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot. To these, to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. She closed with this verse and wrote, Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because thy promised, I believe, O Lamb of God, I come. One bold young preacher, perhaps not as kind as he should have been, but with the best of intentions that gave her the gospel and the influence and power of the Holy Spirit used his witness to bring her to Christ. And if you grew up in a church like I did, a smaller church where the invitation song was sung by everyone, you have sung with me many, many times, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. In our text passage, we find a man that is actually beyond belief that he came to Christ as Savior, or he came to a faith in God. If you looked at Daniel chapter 1, and this is where I say it would take an hour uh, to go through all of the lesson and all of the passage of Scripture, but you would find uh, in chapter 1 the power of Nebuchadnezzar. 
He was a feared and mighty ruler of his day. And he controlled the powerful kingdom of Babylon and it was unrivaled in power and military might. As I said already, uh, he would be the kind of person that we would think of as uh, Vladimir Putin or others in that category <clears throat> of past history. And what's interesting, and this is very encouraging to me uh, in understanding, uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was in the place of power because uh, even God put him there. Now, we may not understand or not be able to reconcile all of that in our minds, but Jeremiah said of Nebuchadnezzar in Jeremiah 43 in verse number 10, God says, uh, uh, my servant, uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he calls him his servant, and he used even the wicked place and people of Babylon or the reign of Babylon to bring uh, the people of God under judgment. That's a different message, and I'll not go into that. Uh, but uh, Nebuchadnezzar enjoyed the pinnacle of success and power because God allowed him to be in that place. And even though Nebuchadnezzar was great and powerful, he failed to recognize and acknowledge God in his life. Now this morning the choir and we have been singing congregational songs that we recognize who God is. We recognize that he is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the sovereign of all creation and that his rule goes through every generation. But Nebuchadnezzar did not believe that at all. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar was so brass. He was so filled with pride that the house of God, the temple of God, and you'll find in Exodus and then Leviticus and other places how that they uh, 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 built and prepared the tabernacle and later the temple and the vessels of God were made of pure gold and all the things that were in the house of God were very fine and Nebuchadnezzar he stole those when he when he destroyed uh, or went into Jerusalem he took the very vessels of God I mean that would be like an enemy coming in and taking our offering plates or taking our Bible or taking our pulpit and using it in some a place or activity of wickedness and sinfulness. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar did. He drank of the devil's brew out of the vessels, the holy vessels of God. Uh, he uh, uh, is a very wicked man. And how sad that men in our world today possess physical life. Now I'm preaching to us, not just talking about Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, we possess a clarity of thought and a reasonable intelligence. And though we don't rule the world, we are satisfied to rule our own life. There have been very many similarities between someone uh, that rules their own life and has no recognition of God uh, to this person, Nebuchadnezzar, that ruled the Babylonian Empire that was the greatest force on the earth. And Nebuchadnezzar was that man of pride. When you come to chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar is brought face to face with the power of God of Israel. Aren't you glad for the day that you were confronted about your need for God and salvation in your life? Aren't you glad for the person that confronted you and maybe interrupted or disturbed your enjoyable life uh, on a fast road to hell and somebody gave you a gospel track or somebody said to you, you don't want to die and go to hell. Uh, you want to trust Christ as Savior, uh, whether they were kind or un uh, unkind, whether uh, they seemed to be brass or bold or whatever the case may be. I'm glad for the day that the gospel was preached to me and I had to confront myself and my sin. We come to chapter 2 and we find that Nebuchadnezzar has to face who he is and who God is. 
though he still rejects him. And again, I don't have time to read all of this, but if you go to chapter 2 of Daniel and look at verse number 27, please. Chapter 2 and verse number 27 uh, in the book of Daniel. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. Now what has happened here, the king's had a dream and he calls all of his astrologers and magicians and wise men this. He said, I want you to interpret the dream that I had last night. And they said, king, what was it? And he said, well, I forgot what it was. And I want you to tell me what the dream was that I forgot and I want you to tell me the interpretation. Nobody could do it, so they brought in Daniel. And the Bible says none of them could. And I want you to notice what he says in verse 28. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets. He is confronted for the first time with a power that's greater than man's. Do you see it here? I want you to understand that Nebuchadnezzar is confronted with a power that's greater than the ability of man and those who are seen as the greatest, wisest, and most powerful men. And Daniel doesn't tell him, I can do what your wise men couldn't do. But Daniel comes to him and he says to, and he says to Nebuchadnezzar, there's a God in heaven that revealeth secrets. Let's look at the rest of the verse. He says here, and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. And he goes into telling him of that. Uh, but we find if you read all of this by proclaiming that the God of Daniel was a God among gods as all Nebuchadnezzar would do. He didn't see God as the God of the universe. He saw God as a God among gods. Now make sure you listen to what I'm about to tell you right now. Many people see themselves as a God and they're willing because they rule their own life. They don't let anybody tell them what to do. They, they rule their own life. And they see God as yet another God. But Daniel's trying to tell him God's not just another God. He is the God of the universe. And if you live another day, he's the one that'll let you do it. Are you with me today to understand we're not here to worship another God like the other gods and like we're a God. We're not a God at all. We're not in control of anything. We are subject to the mighty power and the mighty goodness of an almighty God in heaven. Nebuchadnezzar rebels against this idea and he has a statue made some 90 feet tall out of gold and, and uh, he says uh, uh, this statue represents me and I'm going to make sure everybody in this kingdom bows down and worships uh, uh, this image. And, uh, and this is yet another story though Daniel is involved the emphasis goes to the three young men that when the music plays and everyone is told to bow down and, and worship this image that Nebuchadnezzar has built in Nebuchadnezzar's honor these three young men they won't do it they gave them two or three chances and they wouldn't do it and they said we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace now I want to be careful here not to stop and preach on this a while because I want to finish the message that I'm that I'm intending to preach here uh, but uh, even though uh, they threw three men into the fiery furnace God delivered them and Nebuchadnezzar looked in and he said, did we throw three men in the fire? And they said, yes, king, that's right. He said, I see four. And the fourth is likened to the Son of God. 
But even then, when he recognized that there's a God in heaven, he still saw him as a God. That takes us through this chapter here. He is a man filled with pride. In these verses through verse number 30 in chapter 3, at Nebuchadnezzar then, he is brought face to face with God. He sees him in the fiery furnace, but he still lumps God with all the other gods. Let's look at verse number 29. Chapter 3, verse number 29. I know I'm moving quickly through this, and you ought to read more of it perhaps when you go home. But I want you to see God working in his life. Uh, let's see, chapter uh, 2, verse number 29. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. Uh, chapter 3, verse number 29. Uh, he says, Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no God that can deliver after this sort, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, now, now, here's what he says. He recognizes God as God, but he doesn't recognize him as his God. Uh, please listen to me in Holy Spirit. I pray that you'd help us to understand this. God's not just a God to add to your life, but that's where Nebuchadnezzar is right here. Uh, we, we've had folks move to America from, uh, and specifically Nepal. We have folks here this morning that are from Nepal. When they heard the gospel of Christ, they said, oh yes, I'll take him as Savior and I'll add him to all the other gods I have. And, in, 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 and at first, when we began witnessing to folks from Nepal that had been, and, and other places as well, they've been told that there are many gods. That's where Nebuchadnezzar is in chapter 3. But he is going to learn that God is not a God of gods. He is the king over all kings and he's the only God of the universe I want you to hear me today you and I are not gods or we're not supposed to be gods we're not to worship things as God I want you to go away from here today understanding there is one God that is Lord and that is sovereign of all and that is the God of heaven who is the creator of this world who is the sustainer of life who is the savior of man and who is the coming judge I fear that so many in our nation today have just seen God as another God and maybe a very powerful God I want us to understand when we worship him we worship him as the only sovereign God of heaven so he doesn't learn in chapter 4 he has another dream and he calls Daniel of course and in this dream he dreams that there's a mighty tree and that tree has a lot of fruit on it, has so many leaves on it, provides shade for cattle and for everything around it. And then in his dream, the tree is cut down, the leaves are gone, the fruit is gone, and there is a, just a stump there, and that stump suffers under the brightness of the sun. Nobody comes to that tree anymore because it doesn't provide fruit, doesn't provide shade, doesn't provide anything. And Nebuchadnezzar said, what is that? And, and, and Daniel said, here's what it is. It's you. And God's going to show you that he is the one that makes man as he is. And he is going to make you as a beast. 
Now, now hear me well, how he concluded his testimony in chapter 4 is what we all need to learn without having to go through what he went through. God knows how to abase a person and a people of pride. And if you read through chapter 4, what you'll find is uh, that Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he had God put in him the heart of an oxen. He didn't desire to go in and sit in a chair or to sit on a throne and to rule the nation. He woke up in the morning and he had a desire in his heart as an oxen. He went out in the field. He didn't cut his hair. He didn't cut his fingernails. And, it, and, and it's an amazing thing of what God puts in the Bible. He made him to graze like an oxen, dear friend. And he was out there and the dew fell on him and the rain fell on him. And then all of a sudden, after being in that condition, his senses come back to him and he realizes, wait a minute, there is a God in heaven. And I ask us this morning, what does it take, what would it take for you and I to come to the place that we realize there is only one God and that's the God of heaven, the creator God, and God is in control. Let me tell you where most of our world is today. When Daniel gave Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation of the dream and told him what was going to happen to him, there was a 12-month delay between the time of proclamation and the time that this happened in the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. And I'm going through a lot of facts that you'll find right there in, uh, in uh, Daniel chapters 2, 3, and 4. There's 12 months that take place. And because uh, the judgment did not fall immediately, Nebuchadnezzar went on in his pride like nothing was going to happen. And this old nation today, and you know it is, a prodigal nation is headed for the judging hand of God. And there are folks that are listening to me today, you've not come to Christ as Savior. You have not come to the place that God is the King of kings and the sovereign God of heaven. And you believe because the preaching of judgment has been delayed that it's not going to come. Today you need to allow the Holy Spirit of God to convince you and to convict you that judgment is coming to the Christ rejecter. A judgment is coming to a nation that's turned its back on God. And while there's a delay, that delay is for one reason. That's the grace and mercy of God. We ought to come to our senses without having to go through what Nebuchadnezzar went through. Let me give you these things in closing. We come to the place in verse number 34 of Daniel chapter 4 that, Daniel, that Nebuchadnezzar recognized there is a God in heaven and he is in control. Look at verse 35 again. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doth according to his will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What dost thou at the same time, Nebuchadnezzar goes back to his testimony, my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and, my, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king, capital K, king of heaven, 
all whose works are truth and his ways judgment and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. An unexpected preacher. He proclaims the truth of God publicly in the first three verses. He proclaims the truth of God in the last three verses personally. And his proclamation was powerful. And I want to say today, listen to me, if you've never received Christ or you've never yielded your life to God and to the God of heaven, you ought to yield your life to him. But in another manner, we have to understand if God can use Nebuchadnezzar to proclaim the truth of heaven, God could use any and all of us to tell others there's a God in heaven that's in control. And the sooner you yield to him, the better life is going to be. Isn't it an amazing thing? I understand John the Baptist being a preacher. I understand that. But here's the gospel of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. Yeah. Now, this verse in closing. In fact, stand with me and I won't close anymore. This will be the last time I close. The Bible says this, that one day that, that Christ has been given a name that is above every name and that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. You understand that? It, it doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what you have. doesn't matter your position. Every knee is going to bow in humility that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now, why in the world would anybody wait until it's too late to do that? Why don't we go ahead and recognize that in our lives today? And I'm not talking about just in a formal show. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about in our daily lives, living our life, understanding, God, you're in control. If I have another day, another week, another month, another 10 years to live, that's up to you. And what I have, I want to live it for your honor and your glory. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the message of truth this morning and how you took Nebuchadnezzar and, and, and the power of God to change a man that went from making images to be worshipped to falling on his face and declaring publicly that you are the sovereign God of heaven. Oh, how our nation's been taken in pride today and so many Christians taken with it. Help us to humble ourselves and never be ashamed to proclaim privately and publicly in church and otherwise that you are the sovereign God of heaven and you're worthy of our praise. I pray for the decisions that should be made. I pray they would be made this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. As he sings on the invitation song this morning, if God spoke into your heart, there's reason for to use the altar. I invite you to come.